in a case where the economy enters a recession or there's just larger food shortages around the world or the bigger picture just gets worse in some other way that will definitely have an effect in the crypto markets, which are very risky markets, as mentioned. And that's just something that we just have to keep an eye out on. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Inner Circle with your hosts, Graham Friedman and my colleague, Brian Mint. Let's do this. Excellent. We wanted to bring uh, a topic forward today about surviving a bear market. We know that there's been a lot of pain in the crypto markets lately. Uh, and as two people who have been through this game quite a few times, just wanted to bring a word of advice. Um, so with that being said, I mean, just to set some expectations, Brian, I know for me, this is the third bear market that I've been an active investor in. I did pay attention to the first one ever in Bitcoin, um, which was very early. But to be completely honest, I wasn't really uh, invested at that point in time. How about yourself? What bear market number are you on? Same, man. This is actually bear market number two for me as a active investor. So you've been in the crypto game longer than I have. Uh, I was definitely present in 2018, 2019 as an active investor. Uh, but before that, I was mainly tracking the cryptocurrency industry. Uh, my first entry was 2016 when I got exposed to ETH, ETH Classic, the fork, the DAO hack, all of those things that occurred. But I was not a active investor that was uh, affected by the bear markets of past. Of course. And, you know, I might even note that while 2018, 2019, 2020 um, were an extended period, I would say that the um, what was it? The March crash in 2020 may have been a unique event in and of itself for anyone who was around at that point in time. True. Uh, that was like a, what, a 50%, like a single day kind of, <laughs> kind of mode. Anyway, uh, that being said, um, you know, we really w hope to take our experience, uh, and pass it along to the users and all of our followers and share the knowledge that we have learned. Also, what we've seen going into this and how correlated those are to the previous experiences. So Republic Crypto came to its genesis in 2019, actually, of, of last year, I should say in its modern format. And we really did push through that bear. Like Brian and I were hands-on with projects, um, working very aggressively to, to make them successful. And I would just love to get a quick take, Brian, like what did it feel like to you as you experienced it and were working directly with pro projects that were trying to raise capital um, and go to market? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a phase of my life, phase of my career that I would definitely not forget. You know, I really got very involved in crypto right before the ICO craze of 2018. So 2016, 2017, I was very much in the research phase, mining and getting invested and things like that. Mania happened in 2017, and as you mentioned, right after that, I'm I'm kind of looking at the the kind of coin market cap market cap charts right now. But right around the end of 2018 through 2019, all of 2020 was essentially this large, long crypto winter slash bear market. And being involved in the space at this time, it was quite crazy seeing the sentiment change from the mania and the hype that we saw in 2017 
and into 2018, which for the record closely resembles the mania and the hype that we saw in 2021 that now we're in, leads us to the situation we are today. Uh, we saw that mania quickly change into really negative market sentiment. And in a world where we were slinging tokens and everybody wanted SAFTs and people wanted to see how they can get tokens from a project at the lowest lock was possible. And then you go into a world where project people and investors were like, actually, are you guys still doing safes? Can I purchase equity in your project instead of tokens? That was quite a revelation to me because the whole reason why we were in this space is to really help the innovation of tokenized ecosystems, which lead to decentralized ecosystems. So projects or sorry, investors that wanted to get safes and equity at this time really opened my eyes to just the hyper-capitalistic, profit-driven nature of some investors. But it also uh, made clear to me who was in it for the long run, who was in it for building decentralized projects, democratized projects through uh, token ecosystems. So that major mindset shift of just like one day it was SAFTs, the next day it was SAFES, was very, very memorable to me. Uh, to me, that was a very defining moment of that bear market of 2018, 2019, 2020. Um, what about yourself? I, I know you kind of had a different perspective. We weren't, uh, there was like a little bit of overlap between me and you where near the second half of the bear market, we were working together at Republic. But before that, you were actually doing TLDR and, you know, kind of the more solo projects. So I wonder if you had like a little bit more of a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, as mentioned, I was, I was at a previous firm that we had built, and I think we fell victim to something that's extremely common that we saw back then. And we are seeing right now, even on a bigger scale, which was that people grew in this healthy environment where money was easy. And then suddenly everything deflates and you've got a really aggressive balance sheet that you need to maintain, right? You have salaries, you have expectations. Um, all, all, all of a sudden, the risk appetite of your employees changes. Um, the shininess of the whole space dulls significantly. People start thinking about, well, I want to open a mortgage or, or start a family, and this is not the space for that. So we actually got very aggressively impacted by the fact that we now had all these employees and the capital was drying up. I think we're seeing the same thing presently with Coinbase tightening up. They're letting go some staff. Uh, seeing de-staffing across the board. But conversely, some of the players that were brought up in that last market are very effectively um, secured, if you will. So we're seeing FTX, Binance, they've kept smaller teams. They are doing a hiring spree. Uh, this is sort of the time where I think we will see a consolidation in terms of staffing. Um, and the one thing that really I remember clearly was Eric Voorhees of Shapeshift had put out this piece that Shapeshift had grown so aggressively, um, had really reached for many stars and had lost their guiding light. And the lesson there was that you, no matter what, even in times of good, should focus on your core value add, your core business prop, not start reaching for all of these disparate elements um, and be able to maintain yourself in a tight, uh, secured uh, path as you continue to progress. Now, it got very interesting because Shapeshift in the... Uh, in the time since, has moved to a full-blown DAO. Um, they were really uh, impacted by KYC AML, so they've actually shut down the, the full company, and a lot of those employees have stayed on as DAO members, and their DAO actually has a larger AUM to the tune of 7x, uh, something to that effect, 
of what the company had prior. So lots of really interesting learnings from that past time that we can take into this one. I think you and I both are very conservative as we went into this. We also sensed a lot of very toppy signals when we went to some conferences this year, I would say a few months ago, and there was this irrational exuberance, these high valuations on projects that seemingly had little value capture. And that sort of froth, that excitement from people that don't really understand the core value, uh, very disconcerting, and I think got us on a bit of our fighting from the back foot, if you will, um, yep. which has led to a very dominant position, I think, for the team right now. Um, so that being said, I would love to go into where we are right now and sort of what we can expect, how we got here, um, what we think is going to continue to come. Um, so Brian, would just love to hear from your take. We have seen some very aggressive movements in the past two weeks. I would say uh, major companies have gone illiquid, um, factors that are very important because they can have a cascading effect throughout the industry. Um, so starting with Celsius, uh, actually, no, I'll take it back, starting with Terra, uh, which we covered in the previous episode. Um, but would you just give us a little bit of a review of what we've seen from that Terra, uh, uh, Terra implosion to Celsius to what we have now, um, some hedge funds as well? 100%. And I might even uh, rewind the clock a little bit more um, pre-Terra because we really need to understand the macroeconomic environment before really diving into the specific crypto environment, which itself is a very risk-on industry that is extremely volatile, as we all know. And a lot of these risk-on industries are extremely susceptible to the larger uh, macroeconomic plays that are happening. And the biggest thing that I really want to point out is previous crypto bear market, which I'm calling the one that happened in 2018, 2019, and 2020, that time period was occurring through a time of macroeconomic prosperity, right? It was happening during a time where the economy was growing, tech companies were soaring, IPOs were happening, the general economic state of the United States where we are, as well as the general public around the world, was actually doing pretty decently. And then after that, the pandemic hit caused a lot of problems, as we all know, that trickled down into supply chain, uh, prices increasing due to lack of supply and things like that. And then now there was the war between Russia and Ukraine and all of the other collateral damage that's occurring due to food shortages and also shipping routes being affected, which is compounded by the aforementioned supply chain issues from the pandemic. And last but not least, uh, kind of all culminating for crypto into the Terra Luna crash. So leading up to the Terra Luna situation, the economic uh, outlook and the, the health of the markets were not great to begin with. And as we discussed in our prior episode, it was that exact uh, storm that really exacerbated the outcome of the Terra Luna crash. The, the state of Bitcoin, Ethereum, all the prices were already on the decline, which led to a lot of the collateral being very inefficient, among other things. And that crash really was like a big catalyst that liquidated many people, huge repercussions for retail, which in turn led to a giant change in sentiment 
of the crypto market, which was already going down in price due to uh, the pandemic and the war and all the other macroeconomic factors. So really, the Terra Luna crash not only liquidated many uh, large funds and players in the space, it really ruined the sentiment of the industry for retail. And then those that really caused a larger domino effect kind of at basically causing other players to liquidate their positions or maybe try to make some hedging plays to stay alive in this market. So this brings us to the Celsius event, uh, which happened just uh, about a week ago. And really the Celsius crash was due, not crash, sorry, the Celsius um, insolvency or their them pausing their trading operations was really a uh, hedging mechanism for them to really kind of cut their losses due to uh, instability in certain trading pairs, most specifically the STE and ETH trading pair. Uh, I'm not even, it's not even really a trading pair. It's just more of a peg really, to be, to be quite honest. That peg they, Celsius had large exposure to. And because that peg was getting uh, offset, they needed to really figure out a way to uh, cut their losses. And they really just kind of stopped their, their platform for a while. That, you know, Celsius being a very large player in the centralized exchange slash DeFi kind of this hybrid space. Uh, a lot of people trusted this uh, company and a lot of people had money here. So a company like Celsius pausing operations has caused even more negative sentiment in the market compounded by that caused by Luna compounded by the general market downturns due to macroeconomic factors is really now the perfect storm that we are seeing to that's essentially leading to this like bear market winter situation. And dare I say the R word um, that may or may not be confirmed yet uh, for the general um, economy here in the United States. So a lot of these things are just uh, piling on top of each other. And uh, most recently, like these events are causing other large firms to become uh, liquidated or heavily leveraged entities to become liquidated in a way that they wouldn't foresee in the bear market of 2021. So uh, yeah, I kind of just covered a few points that I thought were kind of worth highlighting. Graham, if I missed anything or you want to dive more into any of these specifics, um, please go ahead as I know you've probably been uh, deeper into some of the weeds here. Yeah, I just want to, TLDR one thing quickly. So you had mentioned the STE to ETH. Um, for anyone that's unaware, that ST refers to staked. So what they did was took um, short-term capital, basically money that could be recalled at any time, put it into a staking contract, which is still a one Ethereum backed to one STE. That's the idea, right? We're putting it in staking. You get this thing back called staked ETH. You can hold it, but it doesn't unlock your ETH until Ethereum's proof of stake goes live, which should happen in September, as I understand it. So basically, it's a it's a great thing to have. But the problem that they ran into at Celsius was, again, they took this short-term capital, they put it into long-term risk trades. And when that short-term called it back, they couldn't make good on that trade. So that's really like the fundamentals of what happened. One thing I do want to make abundantly clear is that most of these um, I want to say downward cascades are, are coming from leverage, are coming um, from these ecosystems that are actually not, I would not call them crypto web three. These are traditional businesses that are opaque into how they're trading, how they're deploying their assets. 
operating as a business, being able to market however they feel fit, but these are not fully transparent protocols. Those have actually held up very well. And some things to look at would be Aave, uh, which is a borrowing lending. Basically, they're all borrowing lending protocols, Curve Finance, um, things of this nature that are the backbones of DeFi, where you can actively see all of the collateral. It's on chain. Everything that's being called back has a collateral that can uh, be called as well. And those are handling all of this very well. So a stress test for DeFi, this is proving to be very positive. Yep. What is roundly negative are these hedge funds that are trading through a, a book that we cannot see. Uh, again, these companies that are taking consumer money and making high-risk trades that they can't cash in on or make good on when all, all falls apart. Um, this is very detrimental to our ecosystem. And to be honest, I would love to see regulation around how they're deploying risk around customer assets more than I would like to see what's actively happening, which is sort of slapping projects on the risk for maybe doing an, a token offering in a way that, honestly, these are very complex things. It's hard for yep. founders to build technology and to understand all the rules. So anyway, that's kind of where we're at right now. That Actually, has led to a... Yeah, Graham. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you're mentioning the, the, the over-leveraged traders and how that's causing this uh, downward sell pressure onto the market. And I think for a lot of the listeners here, uh, maybe they might not understand why a leveraged trader will cause this downturn due to being liquidated. I know that's something that was new to me when I was first getting into crypto because I was I didn't have a finance or trading background. Uh, do you mind maybe going through like a quick explainer on like how a leveraged trader getting liquidated will cause kind of this like spiral into price and the, the crash that's currently ongoing. Two common private investment contracts are the SAFT and the SAFE. The SAFT means simple agreement of future tokens, while the SAFE means simple agreement of future equity. The difference here is between tokens and or equity. Yeah, sure. So it actually comes back to sort of that timeline mismanagement that I mentioned previously, uh, short-term assets, long-term uh, risk. And that comes down to the fact that they take some assets. In this case, it's a variety of crypto assets. I think Avalanche has been some of this collateral, obviously Ethereum, Bitcoin for sure. And what they do is go to these lenders and they put up that ETH, that AVAX, that Bitcoin. And in return, they get a stable coin. And with that stable coin, they've been making these leveraged trades, these risk on um, things, uh, basically bad trades, right, is what we're getting at right now. I'm trying to find a fancy way to phrase it, but that's something that they cannot pull out of. And what that's causing is this ripple effect um, where that collateral that they put up is coming into it's um, liquidation phase. So basically saying you cannot make good on your trade, the uh, lender borrowing partner will take that collateral back in. What that means is as this risk piles up, that collateral gets liquidated, meaning it's going to be forced sold because the trading partner just needs to recoup uh, the value that's being lost through this entire process. Um, the larger the player, the more collateral is on the line, the bigger the sell-off. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of that. Obviously, Terra had a, a really big problem um, with this unwinding where people were trying to exit the protocol and it became um, this massive downward movement. We had a similar event with Celsius, but again, they're centralized. So they were able to shut 
off withdrawals, something that's very terrifying. And then keep in mind, not your keys, not your, your Bitcoin. Um, and we saw that right there. Um, that also went out to some of the hedge funds that were involved in some of these protocols or had taken a lot of customer money and were unable to make good on the trades that they made. So um, this is one of the classic lines uh, from Charlie Munger, which is the three L's that take down smart men are liquor, lady and leverage. Uh, and there was a lot of leverage when money was easy and people were willing to say, hey, I have one dollar. I'm going to take a bet for two or in crypto land. I'm going to put my one dollar in and get a hundred dollars worth of betting power, uh, which comes back to bite you pretty aggressively. Um, so all that being said, this was largely people uh, that were running businesses. I would call them Web 2 businesses, or actually we've heard Web 2.5, which is a traditional business whose core is trading crypto assets, but is not a smart contract, is not an on-chain asset. Therefore, we would not call them Web 3. Um, again, those things have been quite robust, and I actually think this was a very solid stress test and proving point uh, for the DeFi ecosystem. So yep. some shining light in, in all of this darkness. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's very important that you pointed out that the firms or projects that were most heavily affected were not the decentralized Web3 DeFi projects. In fact, it was the more traditional kind of Web2 leaning uh, projects that did more traditional more opaque leverage trading uh, hedge fund style um, investments. So yeah, something to kind of keep in mind, right? I think uh, just to add one more point to what you were saying with the leveraged uh, traders and how they get liquidated, a lot of new people will probably be like, how come in these bear markets, when prices go down, they go down, they go down so fast, right? It's because a lot of these leveraged buyers, when they get liquidated, there's cascading effects of their liquidation. As more whales get liquidated, that essentially forces a market sell of their collateral, which drives the price down, which will then hit other people's margin calls, which is which causes them to get liquidated even more. And that literally cascades until there's no more people left to liquidate. And that is a very common thing that we see in crypto because everybody's trying to be leveraged to maximize gains. But also you might you have to know that the amount that you think your gains can be maximized, it also maximize, not maximizes, but multiplies your losses. So that is why we see such crazy price fluctuations in crypto, especially during the sell-off periods. And you know, for these new viewers or people that are listening, why do these prices just go down precipitously? It's literally due to these like large leverage traders getting heavily liquidated and margin called in a cascading fashion. And that's, uh, yeah, that's crypto. Welcome. Yep. And I, I would add to that, that um, after the money printing event, there was lots of what people would call cheap money, easy money. So in a pursuit of uh, gains, a lot of that came into crypto. Crypto is a highly liquid environment, right? It's always on 24 hours a day. You can withdraw your money with a simple click to a smart contract. That also means that everybody it, that, who is afraid of the uncertainty, right? Markets really respond to knowing what the, is going to come in the future. I think right now, nobody knows what the future looks like, again, through all the macro things that Brian mentioned. So anybody that can pull money out of crypto is going to. They would like to just sit on cash, uh, sit on their hands and, and watch what happens in the theater of the world. 
So we're also seeing a lot of that coming from traditional money. Now, that being said, we did just go to consensus in Austin. And I can tell you that a lot of large funds, um, really sophisticated monetary players are looking at the crypto macro assets, uh, are, are now believing in the system, right? We've seen four winters, uh, so it comes back every time. I think that's given us a lot more trust than we saw from the previous 2018, 2019, 2020. Um, we've also seen a lot more product be built. In the last bull run in 2017, there was just these ideas on napkins. But now we have product, we have some infrastructure. I truly believe that what we've seen built this time around means that we'll get to applications on the next time. And um, that's gonna bring on a lot of users and a lot of security. So we do believe long-term, this is gonna be very interesting, but of course we're here now, we're at the bottom. Um, well, actually, where is the bottom is a good question. Uh, and I will say that in my opinion, I do think we will have some small Bitcoin miners who go out of business, go bankrupt and have a similar event where they have these Bitcoin stashes and they need to liquidate them to sell to pay off their debts. So I wouldn't be surprised that we get a little bit of a Bitcoin movement at some point in time. Honestly, that's kind of my note as to like, OK, when do we start approaching a bottom? Um, but I'm also very confident uh, that we will see buyers as well. So we're now at this point in the market where prices are fairly depressed. Uh, just curious, Brian, like what, what do you think people should do? Let's say you're a long-term believer. And I think both of us would agree that we always recommend people view things on like a five-year time frame. Um, but assuming that you are that person and, and this is actually a time to begin to accumulate or to at least look at the projects in a different light, how do you really think people should approach where we are right now? Yep. Great question. And something that, you know, I can't wait to really make sure people really understand. I think that as you were alluding to earlier, this time around in this current crypto winter, the infrastructure has been built from years past and the robustness of the ecosystem from a technology standpoint is stronger than ever. So really that there is not much doubt, if any, in my mind that blockchain technology and cryptocurrency is here to stay. Whereas in the last bear market, it was still at an earlier stage where people still question whether or not it had legs. I think that not many people will question that the technology has legs. It's now a, now a question of which projects are going to last in the long term or which, what is the new innovation that's going to kickstart the next bull run and things like that. So my advice to people that are currently just like in the thick of it now, maybe you've lost some money, maybe your net worth has gone down from your investments. We, if you believe that crypto still has long-term potential as Graham and I do, uh, it's really just, uh, hold and re do your research time to understand the technology and start thinking about what your next plays are going to be if you're an investor. Uh, the, the most general advice that I can give that applies to almost anything in this space is really dollar cost average into the projects that you want to invest in, which means if you're looking at any layer ones out there, for example, and the prices are, as Graham mentioned, pretty distressed, and low at the moment, you might be tempted to buy a thousand dollars worth of ETH right now. My recommendation for you would be how about instead of dropping one thousand dollars today, 
you buy $100 worth of ETH and spread it out over 10 days or buy $500 and spread it out over two weeks. You know, there's different ways to kind of approach this. And what that does is really protects you against market volatility. And it also allows you to think, have an option to uh, rescind your investment if things change or you found another investment that was more attractive and things like that. So, you know, just look into what you, what projects you like. All the credible projects are still putting out updates. Their Twitters are active, their social media, their blogs are still providing updates on what they're building, uh, how their community is doing and things like that. So, and if a project is not, then probably not worth investing in for the record. So keep an eye out on the projects you like and then dollar cost average into them when you feel like the time is right. That's uh, my main kind of uh, advice for, for people these days. Couldn't agree more. You were right on point. I would say uh, DCA, as we say, dollar cost average. Um, and one of the benefits is we don't know how much more pain there is, right? So we want to make sure that you're not coming in, seeing another dip, feeling awful about yourself and walking away from this industry entirely. Uh, because I'm absolutely confident that five years from now, you will see these prices rebound and things will be extremely robust. You know, all of that being said, Ethereum is moving to proof of stake, which is literally one of the biggest events in this industry since the inception of Bitcoin or Ethereum itself. So that's going to be fascinating. When we attend events, there are tons of builders, especially the younger generation that come in, active contributions, really smart brains. We're still seeing people pouring out of other sectors, traditional web two, uh, traditional finance, all of that. A lot of intent on building this new tech stack um, and plenty of capital that's actually sitting on the sidelines looking uh, at when should they come back in? How is the right way? So the greatest benefit that you will get out of this bear market is a little bit of quiet and time to see what kind of cream can rise to the top, uh, time to do research. And it's a really great opportunity to look at the projects that were the blue chips previously, watch their growth, pay attention to their timeline, maybe hop into their discords, join their DAOs and understand, is there a value capture mechanism, right? This comes back to the most basic rule in investing, which is that when the tide goes out, you will see who's swimming without their shorts. And that's really about who has true value generation. Are they creating revenue? Are they creating cash flow? A lot of these crypto projects are doing that with their token. Others have no purpose to their token and they will probably evaporate as the easy money disappears as well. So yep. that's kind of about all, all I've got on my end, I think. Um, yeah, anything that one, you want to add, Brian? Yeah, one more thing to add is, uh, I mean, this is actually part of the reason why Graham and I have so much mutual respect for each other is that we met during the crypto winter. Uh, well, actually, we met pre-crypto winter, but we knew that each other were building during crypto winter. So I think that for anybody that's looking to see who's serious in this space and make long-lasting connections in Web3, like find out who's like still here. Find out who's still building during times like this, who still has conviction, who's committed to long-term value creation, because those are the people that are still working on things literally today. You know, this is not the height of 2021 where people are just in it for the lulls or in it for quick gains. It's very easy to find that kind of noise. But today in in a market like this, you're really you're really going to see who's serious about this 
And if you're looking to make serious connections and long-term connections about people that are really trying to push Web3 forward, this is really the time to do that. So for anybody who's looking to get more into it, there's really no better time than now to find uh, long-lasting connections and uh, build something valuable. Woohoo! <laughs> so everybody, stay safe out there. Take your time to do your research. There's going to be a lot of breathing room um, and you should be able to dive into projects and, and get a, a nice amount of visibility. And of course, remember, I know it's more difficult to manage your keys uh, to maintain your own capital versus giving it to a centralized entity. Um, but of course, we are seeing the power of decentralization of owning your keys. And this only reinforces that message. Uh, Graham, I have one last topic maybe to, to cover, uh, which is just kind of a little bit more back on the macroeconomic train here. Because I do think one thing that's super different about this bear market is the fact that it's not happening in a time of economic prosperity like the previous bear markets. So a lot of these uh, cyclical crypto trends may not play out the way we expect because the larger macroeconomic picture is not the same as before. So in a case where the economy enters a recession or there's just larger food shortages around the world or the bigger picture just gets worse in some other way that will definitely have an effect in the crypto markets which are very risky markets as mentioned and that's just something that we just have to keep an eye out on and everybody here you know the while we remain bullish long term on the space we also are realistic that there are bigger things at play here than just the, the cyclical nature of crypto uh, bulls and bears. You know, just on that point, fiat is also stressed. So this should be a very interesting time to see what crypto is made of, right? We're seeing the Bank of Japan having a difficult time maintaining the yen's price, uh, smaller countries that are more beholden to the volatility of, let's say, the US dollar, are still talking about a Bitcoin backing. So who knows what's going to happen? This is what Bitcoin was built for. It's obviously not performing to the expectations of everybody, um, but the future is unwritten and um, we shall see what happens. 100%. All right. So with that, we'll say goodbye. And again, stay safe out there. Uh, do your diligence and uh, take your time. <laughs>